Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.06 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 19th of January, 2021. This is episode 347 of Bitcoin, and we got stuff. We got tether fud coming up we got um oh let's see i'm i'm advising people to just get off zero when it comes to starting in down the bitcoin hole there there's just there's nothing to be done about people who are like i'm too late um you just got to get off zero that's what you start telling people it's like just throw 50 bucks at it use cash app whatever okay just you got to get off zero also, uh, let's see, Coindesk is <clears throat> throwing some FUD. I'm trying to figure out why the hell the IMF is not just some kind of James Bond movie eagle, evil organization. Uh, we got Jack Everett, local boy does well. We'll talk about that. Evil Block has come and gone. We got some other gaming news. <clears throat> and uh, obviously today in Stupid. So with all that, that's sort of what we're going to get into today. So let's start cranking this uh, thing up. This is uh, the thing that I'm talking about, get off zero. Just you got to tell your people to get off zero. Have I already missed my time to buy Bitcoin by Mitch? Sometime written on January the 18th for Bitcoin Magazine. He says, it's easy to see Bitcoin price go up and feel like you've missed the boat. However, many individuals and institutions believe that Bitcoin is just now starting to heat up. So what is driving the price of Bitcoin so high and how could it continue to rise above these levels? The best place to start is by understanding the backbone of Bitcoin economics, supply and demand. The problem with projecting future price stems from the difficulty in predicting supply and demand. Bitcoin is unique in that its supply is on a known schedule. It is embedded in software code that cannot be changed by any person or organization. This code states that the new supply of Bitcoin is cut in half every four years. The first mining subsidy having occurred in 2012, where the new supply was cut in half to 25 coins when a block is mined and is released approximately every 10 minutes. In 2016, it was cut in half again down to 12.5 new coin and created uh, every 10 minutes. In May of 2020, the most recent halving occurred, meaning that there are now only 6.25 new coin created every 10 minutes. In short, the new incoming supply of Bitcoin becomes increasingly scarce as time goes on. And now, imagine what would happen if the new supply of cars was strictly limited. Only 1,000 new cars could be created each year. There simply wouldn't be enough cars to go around, so the price would go up. What if we go even further and cut the annual supply of new cars in half so that only 500 new cars could be created each year? It may lead to a mania in the price of cars as people start to realize that owning a car is becoming increasingly difficult. This upwards price mania is effectively what happened to Bitcoin in 2020. 
2012 to 2013, 16 to, and, or 2016 to 2017, and thus far in 2020 to 2021, the supply of Bitcoin stays constant for a four-year period. Then all of a sudden, it's cut in half. The impact is small at first, but as more and more people learn about Bitcoin, there are increasing numbers of buyers chasing a decreasing level of supply. The exponential growth of Bitcoin's price can be a bit hard to grasp. So let's see what it looks like with charts. And of course, you can't see the charts, but just bear with me. Here's Bitcoin from 2010 to 2014 with the exponential growth phase circled in red. And my oh my, the price does have a tendency to skyrocket <laughs> right, right there after the halving. <clears throat> And here's another chart showing Bitcoin's price from 2010 to 2018. Notice how the exponential price increase from 2013, circled in red, now looks insignificant. That's, we call this uh, zooming out, honestly. The 2017 exponential growth phase is circled in blue. And yes, it does. There's this huge spike that goes, you know, basically all the way up to the, to the previous all-time high of right around $19,000. And it dwarfs this <clears throat> the first having thing so finally here's a chart that catches us up to today's price levels <clears throat> the current exponential price increase is circled in green while the 2013 and 2017 price rises are circled in red and blue respectively notice how the first rise is just a blip on the radar and the second rise is also starting to look insignificant and indeed it does of course you have to zoom out whenever you're talking about this. And that's where people make their, like their, their real mistake. They're not looking at the whole history. And the second mistake is they're using a linear chart. Okay, this is me talking. This isn't the, uh, this isn't the, the article. You, ha you cannot use a linear chart for Bitcoin. Not right now. Maybe way later as it becomes, you know, price stabilizes around, I don't know, whatever. But right now you have to use a logarithmic chart. So when you're when you're showing your people a chart of Bitcoin, two rules: make sure that you zoom all the way out and talk about the histories. Right? These these having events are very important, along with the price spikes that cut that always inevitably come after them. And please use a logarithmic chart. Otherwise, it just it looks it's impossible to see the blips. It it, it really smothers everything, and all you really see is the very last price rise. That's kind of a no-no. Don't do that. Use logarithmic and make sure that you show your people the zoomed out chart. Continuing on, if the price of Bitcoin follows its pattern following the previous supply halvings, the blue circle above will soon become almost as tiny as the red circle. This lines up with the price predictions for many industry leaders. Citibank projects the price of Bitcoin will reach 318000 Guggenheim says 400000 JP Morgan claims 146000 and the list goes on. Bitcoin may feel too good to be true because it is such a unique opportunity. Almost every new technology is first available only to the wealthy and well-connected before everyone else. Televisions, cars, computers were all first owned by the ultra-wealthy, only later to be owned by the masses. Similarly, almost every new investment is first available to the top 1%. Most companies are first privately funded by venture capitalists and accredited investors, only later to become publicly available uh, via the stock market. Bitcoin reverses this trend. It can be acquired by anyone with an internet connection. In some ways, an average person can more easily store their wealth in Bitcoin than Jeff Bezos can. While the average person can simply download an app and buy Bitcoin, Bezos would likely require a direct relationship with a large Bitcoin exchange as well as a complex plan for securing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. 
While not fully available to all of humanity, because not everyone has an internet connection, Bitcoin is the most widely available early stage technology in our lifetime and perhaps in modern history. Of course, Bitcoin is not a guaranteed success. In its early stages, the internet was not a guarantee and neither was the printing press. However, Bitcoin's globally decentralized nature makes it difficult to kill. It has no leader to attack or bribe. It is not a company that can get over leveraged and collapse. It is not reliant on a few key customers and it cannot be disbanded simply by a world leader not liking it. Bitcoin continues to exist because people and companies across the globe use it and work on it 24 7 365 days of the year while global bitcoin adoption is not a certainty it is continuing to grow at an exponential pace both in terms of price and number of users the internet followed a similar path in its early days at one point fewer than five percent of people in the world had internet access because of these low ownership levels the internet was slower and less useful than it is today currently around 60 percent of the global population is an active internet user Right now, global Bitcoin ownership covers less than 5% of the world's population. If the global network effects that es escalated the internet to widespread adoption are similarly boosting Bitcoin toward global ownership, we are not too late to get into Bitcoin. In fact, we may still be very early. And we are. <clears throat> In my opinion, we are still all very, very early. So, now let's talk about a little bit of FUD here. Coindesk as a publisher is sometimes does not help things and they certainly haven't helped anything here and it looks like they got caught uh caught with their britches down thomas m is writing this for btctimes.com coindesk adds fuel to tether fud this was written on the 16th so it's a little older but hey you know whatever allegations against financial services institution deltech and stablecoin issuer tether one of deltech's customers spread rapidly this week as a story first published by Coindesk implied that Deltech had used Tether's funds to buy Bitcoin. The article in question refers to a recently published year-in-review video by Deltech in which its CIO, Hugo Rogers, discusses the firm's investment activities throughout 2020 as well as the outlook for 2021. Coindesk linked to a tweet commented on Deltech's video, quote, at 7.20 in the video, Deltech Bank has a large position in Bitcoin, but Tether absolutely has nothing to do with it, right? End quote. <clears throat> the tweet was published by a Twitter user that appears to be impersonating Hugo Rogers, using a photo of Rogers as their profile picture and Deltech's office <laughs> address and website in the profile description. During Deltech's videos, uh, video, Rogers disclosed that Deltech indeed, hold, indeed holds a large position in Bitcoin, having bought Bitcoin for its clients at around $9,300. Rogers mentions Bitcoin alongside a list of other investments by Deltech and makes no reference of Tether at any point in the video. Still, the Coindesk article reads that Rogers' statement, quote, may raise new questions about whether the dollar-pegged USDT stablecoin is actually backed in any way by Bitcoin, end quote. The assumption, which appears to build on the aforementioned tweet, is that there is reason to believe Deltech's Bitcoin purchase was conducted with funds the firm holds on behalf of Tether. Coindesk delivers no evidence nor any plausible basis for the assumption. The allegations were met with surprise by a number of industry executives. Uh, <laughs> Gabor Gerbax uh, is one of the people that I follow on Twitter, and he is reacting or he's responding to the Coindesk uh, tweet that put out the, the article in question. 
It says, he says, not sure how you connect one, two, and three. One, Tether is a Dell Tech customer. Two, Dell Tech purchases Bitcoin for some customers. Three, Dell Tech buys Bitcoin for some customers. Hence, there are questions around how Tether is backed. Can't a bank have multiple customers with Bitcoin interest? <laughs> That's be my question. <clears throat> Dell Tech Bank is one of a number of subdivisions under an umbrella called Dell Tech Group which includes, among other services, private and corporate banking, wealth management, investment management, and family office services. In 2020, Deltek launched a Bitcoin-structured product for clients who were looking to gain exposure to Bitcoin. A spokesperson for Deltek shared with the BTC Times that in light of the global recession that was triggered by COVID, the firm determined that owning digital assets was an opportunity to diversify stores of value in a world where fiat currency is being printed with abandon. The article published by Coindesk implies that Deltek may have used funds it holds for Tether to buy said Bitcoin. No publicly available information points to this being the case, making the assumption seem far-fetched and baseless. <laughs> While Tether may be Deltek's most high-profile customer, it is not its only customer. It may well be possible that other clients serviced by Deltek are interested in Bitcoin, especially given Bitcoin's recent price development and accelerated adoption by institutional investors worldwide. Who instructs Deltek to buy Bitcoin for them is not known. However, as banks do not usually make this type of information publicly available, because of confidentiality reasons. A spokesperson told the BTC Times that at no point would Deltek disclose details of, uh, <clears throat> of specific client accounts or portfolios without consent, and such accusations are unsupported and purely speculative, end quote. The original article by Coindesk has been edited multiple times since its publication to include comments from Deltek and Tether representatives. A comment added by Tether General Counsel Stuart Hogner stated that, quote, Tether does not outsource decisions about its reserves, end quote, and that, quote, Deltek does not purchase digital tokens for and on Tether's behalf, end quote. <clears throat> An attorney for Deltek responded as well, commenting that, quote, Mr. Hugo's statement in the video regarding the investment strategies for some clients had no relation whatsoever to Tether's depository assets with Deltek and, in fact, made no reference to Tether at all, end quote. The added comments from the involved parties paint a very different picture from the initial allegations laid out in the article. When the comments were included, the article had already been circulating for almost a day. In fact, not only does the assumption that Deltek buying Bitcoin means that it must have done so using Tether's funds lack substance, it also falls short on logic. As Blockstream CEO Dr. Adam Back pointed out in a tweet on Friday, quote, Tether is a crypto company. They wouldn't go to Deltek, a bank, to buy crypto, end quote. Yeah, that makes sense. The question of whether USDT is fully backed has received increased attention recently amid requests for more transparency surrounding Tether's reserves. In a recent podcast appearance on Peter McCormack's What Bitcoin Did, Hogner stated that every Tether is 100% backed by our reserves. Those reserves, according to Hogner, include traditional currency and cash equivalents and may include other assets and receivables from loans made by Tether to third parties, end quote. Earlier this week, Tether CTO Paolo, or Paolo Ardoino, I guess that's how you pronounce it, shared on Twitter that the firm is working towards increased transparency in 2021, which may reserve, uh, refer to the reserves backing the USDT. So, oh God, this just looks bad on Coindesk's part, honestly. I mean, and 
Coindesk as a, as a publisher, you know, I don't know. It's you got multiple people writing, you know, stories for you. You're you're cranking out like content all the time. I I I get it that you're gonna that editors are gonna miss some stuff, but this is, man, dude. The, just the commentary from the people that are like, you know, writing back about this one, it, pointing out that there's just no way you can connect those dots. <clears throat> that is just an assumption. Is just this just bad journalism? It's just bad journalism, and it it's, it gets people into trouble when you do shit like this. Please stop doing it because you're also feeding the fudsters like Noriel Rubini, who is now back on the warpath because Tether, right? Should you be concerned about Tether? I'm not. I have never given a shit about Tether. I literally do not care. To me, it's just some other crap currency. I don't know how it's pegged or why it's... I don't. I, I honestly have been dealing with this since the old days of Bitfinex before he blocked me. And that was like uh, two years ago he blocked me. This shit's been going on forever. It's. I don't think it's ever going to end, but... Again, should you be concerned about Tether? I guess if you want to waste your time, I I don't know. But you're going to be wasting your time in the midst of the following. Spend as much as you can, says the IMF, after the European Central Bank chief slams Bitcoin. Sean Jarvis is going to tell us about it. He's writing this one for BTC Times, January the 16th. Bitcoin proponents are already in awe at the size of the United States' latest $1.9 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill. But for the International Monetary Fund, it is not enough. Speaking with the 12th Russian Gator Economic Forum on January the 15th, IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva, whatever, told world governments to ramp up spending even more despite last year's ongoing record money printing. Quote, in terms of policies for right now, very unusual for the IMF. Starting in March, I would go out and I would say, please spend, she said, quoted by Reuters. Quote, spend as much as you can. And then spend a little bit more, end quote. Georgia Viva, whatever, uh, was commenting on the broader status quo impacting the global economy at the start of 2021 as the majority of countries continue to grapple with increasing cases of flu. I mean, COVID. In economic responses, notably national lockdowns and business restrictions also continue. These having already led to central banks massively intervening, intervening in state finances and markets. Bitcoiners have looked on as fiat currencies throughout the world see increasingly unrestricted issuance with the United States in particular financing its monetary expansion expansion with trillions of dollars of debt. Far from voicing concern about the long-term effects of such money supply inflation, however, the IMF advocates the practice as the solution to, not the cause of financial predicaments quote i continue to advocate advocate for monetary policy accommodation and fiscal policies that protect the economy from collapse at a time when we are on purpose restricting both production and consumption she said the imf has already come come in for indirect scrutiny this week after former managing director christine lagarde now president of the ecb claimed that bitcoin was being used for money laundering and needed Regulation, quote, Bitcoin is a highly speculative asset, which has conducted some funny business and some interesting and totally reprehensible money laundering activity. 
That's weird. Funny business and some interesting and totally reprehensible money laundering activity. Well, gee, I guess you find it interesting because you got caught doing it and you were convicted. Yeah, that's right. If you didn't know that, Christine Lagarde uh, helped whatever Sarkozy in France launder money for some of his friends and uh, she got caught and she was convicted. However, she was not punished for it. Let's read. They actually have a statement about that. While notionally open to regulatory clarity surrounding Bitcoin, users noted the irony behind the statements. Lagarde herself, having been convicted of, but not punished for, facilitating illicit payments while at the IMF in 2011. One response from Kaiser Report uh, host Max Kaiser additionally focused on the ECB scorn of Bitcoin, while other governments, Pakistan, while another government, Pakistan had chosen to begin mining Bitcoin using state funds. Quote, embarrassing for Lagarde, please do some reading, macro investor Dan Tapiro added, suggesting that the ECB president consult two popular books on Bitcoin. Quote, $1 trillion asset class, EM usage, <clears throat> banking unbanked, new tech, security network, a genius in, uh, invention, value protocol, etc., etc. Come on, end quote. As a decentralized hard asset with an immutable fixed supply, Bitcoin does not just boast deflationary issuance, but incentivizes network participants to support it ad infinitum. Bitcoin's inflation rate is currently 1.8% following its most recent block subsidy halving event in May of 2020. <clears throat> yeah, so Christine Lagarde, while at the head of the IMF, was essentially helping people launder money, specifically uh, Sarkozy out in uh out in France. Uh, but then, you know, she, when she, she, when the trial ended, she apparently flew right to the UN. I don't know why, but she was like thrown a party, a wet, like, a, like a, I don't know. I don't know why they would do that, but they were, it, it was basically all in Christine Lagarde's like, you know, uh, honor that they did this thing for. Her. And then she ends up being the head of the European central bank. Man, if this shit doesn't scare the piss out of you, nothing will. Absolutely nothing will. But Local Boy does good. Lightning Game Startup Thunder Game surpasses 100,000 downloads. BTC Times. Aria Cromwell is going to tell us about it. She's writing this on January the 15th. When Jack Everett got ready to attend the Lightning Conference, his first ever Bitcoin conference in October of 2019. He didn't want to show up empty-handed. In hopes of using it as an icebreaker to get to know like-minded hodlers, he put together a demo for a Bitcoin game and took it to the event in Berlin. And indeed, his game was met with excitement by other attendees, inspiring him to take his prototype to the next level and make it available for everyone to play. A little, a little over a year later, the game is known amongst a growing audience of mobile game fans as Bitcoin Bounce, developed by Thunder Games, the startup Jack brought to life after his trip to the Lightning Conference. When the BTC Times spoke with Jack in mid-December, Thunder Games counted around 88,000 aggregate downloads for Bitcoin Bounce and its second game, Turbo 84, but less than a month later, the startup has hit over 100,000 downloads, a considerable number for a young company serving a market that is considered relatively niche, as Bitcoin-related games are primarily played by Bitcoiners, yet also an indicator the Bitcoin gaming sector is seeing accelerated growth. Thunder Games isn't Jack's first venture into gaming since 2011. He's been running a mobile games company called FireZoo, together with developer Tim Edwards, who also works with him on his new startup, yet his encounters at 
and impressions of the Lightning Conference led Jack to pursue the fusion of Bitcoin and gaming. He said back in December, <clears throat> quote, I could see the potential for the Lightning Network to be used for rewarding players with micro prizes to keep them engaged and entertained. So I started Thunder Games to hopefully be the start of something new and exciting, end quote. In Bitcoin Bounce, players travel along a virtual blockchain on their mission to collect tickets, while Turbo 84, which is currently in beta, requires players to collect tickets while avoiding obstacles on a racetrack by rapidly changing lanes. The tickets can be used to enter daily raffles for Satoshis or sats the smallest unit of bitcoin the more tickets a player collects in a day the better their chances of winning the raffle system was born out of necessity quote since it is very easy for someone to crack a game having bitcoin directly tied to the gameplay is a very difficult technical challenge which ultimately ultimately leads to having to run a game server that processes all game interactions Jack told the BTC Times, at, <clears throat> as the cost and overhead required for such a server was beyond his means at the time, he opted for the daily draw, uh, daily prize draws. Turbo 84 additionally features a daily spin that promises an additional chance to get lucky and win sats. The most payouts are within the lower range of a few cents or dollars doesn't seem to bother Thunder Games' growing user base. In 2020, the startup facilitated over 200,000 payouts via the Lightning Network, which players use to withdraw their prizes. With the small financial incentive added to the gaming experience, Thunder Games targets beginners looking to discover Bitcoin and Lightning through a playful approach. It's also a fun way to show Bitcoiners their, or for Bitcoiners to show their friends and family how to stack sats. The money for payouts come from in-game ad placements, which Thunder Games sells on an open market. Advertisers bid on our inventory in real time to have their ads placed in the game. We also sell in-game products such as upgrades and skins. A portion of this revenue is then fed back into the games as prize money. At the same time, the startup values the support it is receiving from others who are working on lightning-related projects while building their own services and startups. Entrepreneurs and developers in this sector are also, to an extent, starting up the ecosystem surrounding the lightning network itself. As such, everyone is willing to support each other, Jack shared. Thunder Games is doing its part as well. We started giving away free ads in our games to Bitcoin projects that want them as long as they are startups with no investment, end quote. While the Thunder Game, or sorry, while Thunder Games kicked off the year with great growth numbers, Jack has a lot more planned for a startup starting with mobile games. We're, <clears throat> we're to ramp up development to a new mobile game every quarter. Ooh, shit, man. That's, God, dude, every quarter, a new game. Wow. Man, that's going to be interesting to watch. Web support is in the pipeline as well, although the driving force behind the plan is less joyful. After spending a good part of last year trying to get various versions of the Bitcoin games onto or into Apple's uh, Apple's App Store, Jack has been met primarily with rejection. But by providing web, web games, the startup will have more freedoms to express his, its ideas rather than having to comply with the App Store's tightrope rules and regulations. In 2021, everything at Thunder Games is geared towards refining the business model and scaling up to accommodate more users. Jack is convinced that the coming year will see further growth in the Lightning and Lightning Games community, which will eventually bring esports and tournaments to the space. In a few years' time, we will see big, a few big commercial hits, obviously coinciding with Bitcoin bull runs and the interest that that, that will bring. Thunder Games wants to be at the forefront of this movement, 
and bring the masses to lightning. <clears throat> if its recent growth rate is any indicator, the young startup is set for a bright future. So good for you, Jack. Uh, I had him on the, uh, on Jack on the show. I interviewed him, a, I don't know, a couple of months ago, last month. You can go find it. It's in the it's in the stock. It'll in the stack of uh, of my uh, podcast. It'll be titled Bitcoin and Jack Everett. So go look for that, and and you can find a little you know, hear hear these things from the man himself if you want. Uh oh ooh ooh, biblical messages, dude. There's a biblical message hidden in block six 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 six. We were waiting for this one, man. We really were. Um. Let's see. This is decrypt.co. Shara Mal was writing this one uh, sometime this morning. Uh, the Bible is not something you'd instantly associate Bitcoin with. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> That's part of the FUD is that we're a religious cult and all that kind of shit. But yesterday, someone left a biblical message on its blockchain. Quote, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Bitcoin and other uh, other users, oh, sorry, Bitcoin and other blockchains allow users to include any message with their transactions. These are immutable and tri uh, private like the transactions themselves and cannot be censored in any manner due to the design of blockchain technology. The quote is now part of Bitcoin forever as per biblical meaning guide. Bible ref, it has been interpreted by religious scholars to mean living for the good of others, being honest to oneself, and to overcome evil with good. It serves as a nod to Bitcoin's core ethos, that of providing a fair and inclusive monetary system for all. The uplifting message was ironically imprinted exactly at block height 666,666, the so-called mark of the beast in the holy book and a number associated with the devil or the antichrist. But the religious touches didn't end there. As the below image shows, the alphanumeric address that re or ad addresses that received, the, that received the contained words. Oh, okay, that's just a bad sentence. There's, I, I can't fix that for them. <clears throat> Let's see if I can, let's see if I'll, I'll give it a shot. As the below image shows, the alphanumeric addresses that receive the transactions contain the words God and Bible, suggesting that whoever sent the transaction planned the entire thing out carefully instead of be, it being a coincidence. The transaction was one of the 2,728 transactions included in block height 666666, which overall netted 0.5 BTC in fees for miners. That's about $18,500. The biblical message joins the cohort of other historic and memorable messages included in other Bitcoin transactions. The most well-known one so far was written by none other than the uh, pseudonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto himself. It was included right in Bitcoin's first ever transaction on the Genesis block, and it was a headline from the English newspaper that said, uh, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for bank. You, you guys know that one. Meanwhile, it is not only historic comments that make it to the Bitcoin. Uh, last year, a European man logged the birth of his child on Bitcoin, while back in 2014, the first ever wedding was recorded on the blockchain. Whatever else will be next? Well, there's probably going to be quite a bit, but we don't have time for it right now. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities has oil 
up 0.4%. of $52.57 buys you one barrel of West Texas Intermediate. Brent North Sea going for $55.39. That is a 1.17% increase. Natural gas doing its thing. It's down almost three points. <laughs> Lord. Gold is up. Ooh, gold is up. A half a point. Uh, it's going to cost you $1,839 to buy a nice metal rock. <laughs> Silver is up one point, uh, yeah, 1.79%. Platinum is up one and a half. Copper is up 0.69. So everything is almost everything beating the pants off of gold. <laughs> That's just freaking sad. Uh, indices, what do we got? Eh. Dow futures up 0.63. S&P futures up 0.7. NASDAQ is up 0.9. S&P mini is going to come in also up 0.9, but real money says different shit. $37,337.61 is the price of Bitcoin at this time. It looks like I'm going to have a high over at Coinbase Pro. No, it's going to be at BitAsset, $37,365. My low is going to come in from HitBTC, $37,291. So it's pretty tight trading range. 325,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 13,500 transactions on average per hour. A very low amount of Bitcoin is being traded at this time. Only 478,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. I, I am convinced that this is a liquidity issue. I think it's also mixed in with the fact that the amount of money that needs to be traded is being met by the price of Bitcoin at this time. So I think those two, I think those two things are kind of working in tandem to make uh, to make it to where I'm not seeing one, you know, one million, you know, two million. Sometimes I was up to, I think I saw one time it was like 2.9 million uh, coins were being traded at like in a 24 hour period, and I haven't seen that in quite a while. I haven't seen it since Christmas, honestly. But we <clears throat> we do have 20,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. The average transaction value is 1.5 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.022 BTC. It's about $838. Block times are pretty much right on. 9 minutes and 56 seconds. 0.62 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. And 89.4 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have had a bump in hash rate, 5.91% to the upside brings us up to 150.3 exahashes per second. What's Doge doing? Doge is almost back at a penny. And that's probably has something to do with Elon Musk tweeting shit about Doge again. Yeah, he did it. I know. It's whatever. You just deal with it. It's okay. It's, I'm not concerned by Doge. But... Uh, what I do like say thinking of is the fact that it still has 30,000 transactions in the last day, which is beating beating Ethereum uh, a classic quite roundly. But even Ethereum Classic, uh, their transaction numbers have increased. Everybody's transaction numbers has basically increased. I mean, except for Bitcoin, because we're we're always you know we're always maxing out, man, which is good. <clears throat> good stable system, been battle tested for 12 years, man. All right, Clark Moody, come and tell us what's going on. We have 38,000 transactions that are going to need to board 74 blocks to get rid of. We have captured 5.72% of gold's market cap. Market capitalization in total for Bitcoin is $686 billion. 
there are 18,604,625.4 BTC in circulation. And just one of those is going to get you 19.8 ounces of gold. That's just embarrassing, Peter Schiff. Uh, there is 1,037 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that is that that number is coming down, but the capacity value in USD terms pretty much remains at 38.3 million dollars all the time. That's going to be run across 8,366 nodes. There's 36,482 channels. Tor capacity. We're at 52.1%, and that gives us 541.03 BTC in the Tor side of the network. That's going to do it for Vitals. This is part two of the morning roundup, and we're going to start off with Australian fighting back. Australian Bitcoin trader takes banks to tribunal after sudden account closures. This one is from Coindesk.com's Atanzil Akhtar. I guess that's how you pronounce her name. Anyway, uh, it says cryptocurrency trader in Australia is seeking 250,000 AUD, translates to roughly $192,000 in USD in compensation from two banks claiming he was the victim of unlawful discrimination when his accounts were closed with little warning. Alan Flynn has started proceedings against Westpac and ANZ banks at the ACT Civil and Administrative Tribunal, which closed his accounts soon after they had been open, reports the Australian Financial Review. Flynn had operated a digital currency exchange registered with the Australian Transaction Reports and analysis center or the austrac a-u-s-t-r-a-c but said he was unable to continue operating without banking services the trader said he purchased bitcoin on behalf of 450 customers via his business but over three years had around 20 accounts closed by banks including cba nab ing and bendigo bank Westpac reportedly told Flint his account was closed because it was under investigation for cryptocurrency fraud. Quote, how am I supposed to run a lawful business if I can't get a bank account? Flynn told the Australian Financial Review. According to the report, he also claimed an ANZ employee had informed other banks and his customers that he was involved in fraud. Ooh, man, you just opened yourself up to libel right there, pal. The trader said he is considering raising his compensation request above 250000 with the recent jump in the price of cryptocurrencies. I hope he wins. I hope he drags them through the mud. And I hope these people that did this to him lose their jobs, honestly. But this brings, it, brings, well, brings to bear a kind of a problem here. If Bitcoin is supposed to bank the unbanked, then... We, why is it that we keep looking for banks to solve our fucking problems? I mean, this is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So, and, you know, Bitcoin does fix this, but I mean, a wrench can't fix a car if you don't take the wrench into your hand and actually apply it in the proper place at the proper time with the proper force. Okay. It just lays there if you don't pick it up. So I believe Bitcoin is just a tool and actually it's a, I also believe it's a weapon, but it's in this particular case, it's a tool. So as people like this become unbanked because of Bitcoin, Bitcoin somehow or another will rise to the occasion and actually bank the unbanked. So how that works, what it looks like, we have yet to see. We have like, you know, 
hints of it, but we literally have yet to see exactly how far we can push this. But um, now, okay, you're going to kill me for this one. This is shit coinery, right? It's just plain and simple. But it is the only use case I can see for a shit coin. Everything else is straight up fraud. But when we get into gaming, sometimes I have to look at it, look at it and go, does this game make any sense if I call the token in there inside the game Bitcoin or does it detract from the story? That's the only use case that I can see for the following. Publisher of Infinite Fleet Game kicks off token offering with $1 million Tether investment. More Tether, yay! Coindesk.com. Uh, Sebastian Sinclair is writing this one uh, yesterday. Let's see here. <clears throat> the publisher of the up- upcoming online space strategy game, Infinite Fleet, is providing a chance to buy into equity and share in future profits through the launch of a public security token offering, or STO. Announced on Monday, Luxembourg-based Exordium, which just launched the token-based funding round in select European countries, the tokens are priced at 50 cents, US, 50 cent, well, half a buck in the U.S. per EXO EU token and are being issued by tokenization platform Blockstream AMP. Tether International Limited, an arm of the stablecoin issuer, is leading the round, having already invested $1 million in Exordium's tokens. The funding model is aimed to democratize venture capital by making the investment accessible to the general public, Exordium said. The raise, said to be in accordance with EU capital market laws, is being conducted via digital marketplace Stoker, S-T-O-K-R, which provides turnkey solutions for small to medium-sized ventures requiring access to capital markets. According to the announcement, investors will be able to invest via Stoker using currencies such as the euro and digital assets including Bitcoin, Tether, oh, sorry, including Bitcoin and Tether with a minimum investment of $100. Quote, Unlike Kickstarter, investors in security tokens receive real financial rights in the in the company in which they are investing, said Stoker co-founder Arnab Nascar. The Humans vs. Aliens massively multiplayer online space game is being developed by a team of game designers who have worked on franchises such as Age of Empires, Homeworld Company of Heroes, and Dawn of War. The game will use a different digital token to drive its in-game economy. Quote, as a former game developer myself, I see great potential in the application of crypto assets to multiplayer online games, said Tether CTO Paolo Arduino. The MMO, developed by Pixelmatic, previously raised $3.1 million through its own private STO in August of last year, backed by Litecoin creator Charlie Lee, Blockstack CEO Adam Back, Heisenberg Capital founder Max Kaiser, among others. So... Yeah, this is the STO thing is sort of external to the game insofar as it's the way that they're going to get the money to pay people to make the game because they have to buy food. So that's all external and exist in the real world. And for that, I don't know, man, I it's still a shit coin. It's going to have to be. But when we get internal into the game and you have a, a token that is going to have some kind of outbound value and an inbound value, by the way, as long as you're in the game. But the thing about a video game is it's supposed to be a place where you can forget reality and be somewhere else. That's why we, that's one of the reasons why we play games. And that's one of the reasons why MMOs 
aren't so fiercely popular and have been for a couple of decades now because it lets you slip into a different persona. It's a different reality. There's, <clears throat> you don't have to worry about presidential elections. You're not thinking that way. But the second that you inject something from the real world into that game, you completely destroy the genre. That's the, and, and because of that, and only because of that, that's the only way that I would be able to go, okay, your shit coinery is, is, is okay in this particular context. But honestly, it's the only context I can see because it's genre-based, right? But the minute it goes in or comes out, that shit needs to be directly convertible into Bitcoin somehow, some way or another. If it's directly convertible into Ethereum and only Ethereum, then it's a shit coin all the way through it and they can go basically throw themselves off a cliff for all I care. But after a 25-day pause, your friend and mine, Jed McCaleb, sells 28.6 million Ripple. Oh. Ripple co-founder Jed McCaleb has resumed selling with the latest sale of 28.6 million tokens from his, quote, taco stand wallet. Oh, dude, this is Decrypt.co. Uh, Andrew Asmakov is writing this one. Jed McCaleb, founder of co-founder of Ripple Labs, sold 28.6 million, which is about 8.78 million dollars on Monday, making his first sale in 25 days. The news was shared by crypto researcher Leonidas. I have no hope in pronouncing this last name, so I won't even try it. Leonidas assumed that the break was due to the SEC lawsuit against Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, and Chris Larson, who, together with Jeb McCaleb, co-founded the company in 2012. This is not the first time that McCaleb has paused his XRP sales. The researcher pointed out that, researcher, on the previous occasions he did so, it was connected to charity donations. Yeah, bullshit. Quote, Jed has paused his sales in the past to allow a charity he don't, had donated XRP to, well, to sell. This time, however, he paused his sales right after the lawsuit. There is no, there is no way to know why he resumed. He could have waited for some advice from his lawyers or for a million other reasons, said Leonidas. Um, <clears throat> he added that McCaleb was in the process of selling another 9.7 million XRP, which is another $2.92 million. In December, the SEC claimed that Ripple and its co-founders raised $1.3 billion in ongoing unregistered security sales since 2013. The defendants deny the allegations, arguing that XRP doesn't constitute a security. XRP's price dropped by over 50% following the SEC charges, but has recovered somewhat since then. By the time of writing, the coin was changing hands at 30 cents, according to data provider CoinGecko. Jeb McCaleb, who was the creator of the now-defunct Bitcoin exchange Mt. Gox, served as the Ripple CTO until 2013 before co-founding Stellar Development Foundation in 2014. Currently, he is Chief Technology Officer at Stellar and has been named by the New York Times among the top 10 people leading the blockchain revolution in 2018. You're praising a scammer. Honestly, that's what this shit boils down to. But a recently updated report from blockchain analytics account Whale Alert uh, claimed that in 2020, McCaleb cashed out $411 million in XRP, selling 1.2 billion XRP at an average price of 34 cents per coin. This was about 27% of his entire XRP stash held in a settlement account with Ripple Labs. 
in the five years between 2014 and 2019, McCaleb sold approximately $1 billion of Ripple, worth $301 million at today's prices, which is not to be sniffed at. He's a scammer. All those people, all those people over at, at Ripple are scammers. I mean, just check this shit out, dude. Um, <clears throat> check this out. Jed had paused his sales in the past to allow a charity he had donated Ripple to to sell. So I'm I'm confused as to why Ripple is is good if if the only thing that you can do is sell it, just like Norio Rubini says. <laughs> yeah, he's right about Ripple. Uh, he's wrong about Bitcoin, but I mean, this guy, honestly, dude, he's just, he's laughing at you. If you're holding XRP, he's dumping on you. All these people are, and it's just going to end very badly. And I don't know, maybe fairly quickly. Who knows? Um, institutional investors buy $600 million of Bitcoin in just one day. Let's repeat that. Institutional investors, not retail. Institutional investors buy $0.6 billion of Bitcoin in one day. Oh, yeah, this is Grayscale. Liam Frost is writing this for Decrypt.co and says, Digital Asset Manager Grayscale has added 16,244 Bitcoin, currently worth over $600 million to its Grayscale Bitcoin Trust yesterday, according to data from CryptoQuant. This was the single largest daily purchase so far in both Bitcoin and dollar terms, although it's worth nothing or sorry, although it's worth noting that the growth of the fund may be either through new purchases of Bitcoin or existing investors moving their holdings to the trust. That said, the fund now looks after a total of 632,000 Bitcoin worth $24 billion. The D, as Decrypt reported, Grayscale made the headline last week when the GBTC picked up more than 2,000 BTC just one day after reopening its doors to new investors, and that achievement already pales in comparison to this latest edition. Meanwhile, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company analysts asserted that Grayscale might actually be a key driving force for Bitcoin's price and could single-handedly help the crypto to break above $40,000 in the short term, Bloomberg reported yesterday. According to the analyst letter sent out last Friday, Bitcoin is currently at risk of losing investors that closely follow trends, which could result in a price drop unless it breaks out above $40,000 in the near future. You guys have no idea what you're talking about. In these circumstances, the constant inflow of money provided by Grayscale could help sustain or even increase the price of BTC. Quote, the flow into the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust would likely need to sustain its $100 million per day pace over the coming days and weeks for such a breakout to occur, said the analysts. Otherwise, trend-following traders could propagate the past week's correction, correction and momentum signal will naturally decay from here up till the end of March, J.P. Morgan's experts added. The experts. Oh. Last week, Grayscale published its Q4 2020 report revealing that its crypto-focused products attracted $251 million of investments per week on average. Quote, last quarter, we saw a total investment into Grayscale products of $3.26 billion, which is an average weekly investment of $251 million. It looks like institutional investors were not scared off by Bitcoin's correction after all. Oh, God almighty, man. Uh, anyway, so that's going to do it for the news. Uh, I got a small train wreck for you coming up.
This Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Coindesk, our good friends at Coindesk. UK's National Health Service taps blockchain tech to monitor coronavirus vaccine cold chain. God, this is just in the, this is today and stupid, honestly. Hedera Hashgraph's blockchain platform will provide the health service with a tamper-proof record of vaccine temperatures, the firm said. Are you kidding? Tanzil Akhtar is writing this one sometime this morning for Coindesk, like I said, and says the UK National Health Service is working with blockchain platform uh, Hedera Hashgraph to monitor uh, COVID-19 vaccines in cold storage. So the asset monitoring company everywhere, and that's spelled E-V-E-R-Y-W-A-R-E, everywhere, get it? It's horrid, but it, that's what it is. Everywhere will provide software to track the vaccine's temperature around the clock, while Hedera's distributed ledger technology will provide the NHS with a tamper-proof and efficient record of the data According to a press release on Tuesday, God, where would we be without blockchain? Holy shit. How, how on earth would we ever be able to monitor temperatures and write them down so that other people could see that we never got above you know, zero degrees C? I used to work in a lab. I did it all the time without a blockchain. It's called a pencil, a, 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 a clipboard, and a piece of paper that's got gridded lines on it and you write a date. And, and you know what people didn't do? They didn't go around to other people's freezers and, and jack with the data. There's no reason to jack with, with this data. There's absolutely no reason to do it. There's no reason to have a blockchain monitor your fucking temperature. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But it goes on. NHS facilities in the UK's South Warwickshire, Stratford-upon-Avon, and Warwick Hospitals region will be using the technology initially with a wider rollout planned as vaccine distribution progresses. The vaccines need to be kept well below freezing in order to prevent spoiling, so accurate monitoring is essential. Quote, as we begin to prepare out the rollout... As we begin to prepare the rollout of these new COVID-19 vaccines with the specific temperature requirements, we recognize the importance of utilizing their same tracking and monitoring capabilities, said Steve Clark, electro-biomedical engineer manager at South Warwickshire NHS in the announcement. As of January the 18th, the UK has provided over 4 million people with their first dose of vaccine, according to a tweet from Prime Minister Boris the Johnson. Again, I cut my teeth as a molecular biologist in laboratories and we had several different freezing technologies from barrels of liquid nitrogen to you know minus 40 freezers and when i say minus 40 i mean yes a freezer that just stays at minus 40 degrees celsius which is really freaking cold and you know we we didn't have to use blockchain we had live cancer cells in there we are not live frozen, but you, you get my, my drift here. We had like, like major expenditures of money were stored in these freezers. And how did we monitor the temperature with a clipboard, a pencil and the thermometer? It was pretty easy. And this whole story just makes me sad because it is so very stupid. So let's just go ahead and get right on into dad says jokes. <clears throat> A weasel walks into a bar. 
The bartender says, wow, I've never served a weasel before. What can I get you? Pop goes the weasel. Telling you, man, there is no bad joke like a good dad joke, man. It did that, and that was that was pretty awful, honestly. But our hour is coming to an end. We're at eh, 55 minutes. We'll go ahead and cut it here. Hope you guys have a good week. Uh, if you want to give me a hand, share the show, like, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. Send it out to your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your cousin. Uh, the person next door, I don't, you know, the guy driving down the car, I, you know, hit up the ice cream man or something like that. And then go over to Apple iTunes and leave me a five-star review because that helps me get noticed. And I would like to get noticed even more, please. And that's where you come in and you can do that for relatively free, although it does take time. And that is time that you'll never get back. And I absolutely do appreciate if you do spend your time giving me a five-star review and spreading the word out. It, it it's not it it does not go unnoticed and i do appreciate it with all that i'll see you on the other side this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett i hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon have a great day